welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Here we are once again in the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm seated here at the uh, luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And I'm seated next to Tom Dorian. Hey, Deacon Jeff. You doing all right? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm virtuous. You look virtuous. You look look humble. (laughs) You look humble. Do I? Yeah? You think so? I I know so. What? And if I don't know so, I know you can prove it to us. Everyone has to believe you because this is a radio (laughs) show and no one can see me. That's true. We are talking about the virtues today. Yes, we are. This is a topic that we don't always hear about in the secular world, in the secular media, do we? Uh, I would say no. Yeah, typically. You'll hear things like values. We'll talk about values. We always talk about virtues. Right. So we thought we'd do a show on virtues, and to help us out with that, we have Derek Roddy. And Derek is the Director of Youth and Young Adult Formation at the Catholic Church of the Incarnation. That's in Collierville, Tennessee. Derek, welcome to the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Thank you for having me, Deacon Jeff. Oh. Hi, Tom. Hello. Do you want some coffee or something? I do have some coffee with me. This uh, You brought nice coffee? Oh, no, there's a nice oh, waitress oh, here. You can't bring Uh-oh. coffee. In a, sir, did you not see the sign on the way in that said you can't bring in anything? <laughs> I'm sorry. It, uh, I, I was not uh, being virtuous. So. Yeah, well, well, we'll let you slide this time. We'll let you slide this time, and uh, uh, we'll make sure we have uh, plenty of refills for you. Thank you. So, Derek, let's talk about virtue. Now, First of all, I guess the thing we ought to do first is is define virtue. What is, what is a virtue? We do. And when I started studying this topic somewhere around two years ago, I decided I needed to find out what the culture said about virtue or what even Merriam-Webster said about virtue versus what the church said. And Merriam-Webster defines a virtue as a particular moral excellence and then goes on to define more what our culture thinks as um you know, the the ability of a woman to remain chaste, etc. That gives us a little bit of a an insight into what the church says. But when we really want to know what the church says, of course, we need to go to the catechism of the Catholic Church. And well, par- yeah, you know, the, the church didn't write the dictionary. That's right. And so the dictionary comes from the perspective of the secular world, basically. That's right. And that's it tries right. to be objective and not offending anyone. That's right. Right? And so these, that's why the definitions tend to be a little more... Uh, broad and not quite so, uh, uh, I don't know, enlightening as maybe what the church might teach about virtue. Absolutely. So what does the church say? And the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1803, 1803, says, A virtue is an habitual and firm disposition to do the good. It allows the person to perform good acts and give the best of himself. And that goes so much further and deeper than a particular moral excellence, as Merriam-Webster defined it. Does that lead to any kind of challenge? And do you, do you see that uh, that virtue then is a is a challenging thing? Because a lot of people think of virtue as just being good, right? It's a sim- it's very simplistic. Well, if you're good, you're virtuous. If you're virtuous, you're good. It's not exactly. It's deeper than that, isn't it? Absolutely. And. The first thing that is challenging is to define the good, as the paragraph says in the Catechism, to do the good. What is the good that we're seeking to do? And then, of course, um, a virtue is not something that we can do one time willy-nilly. It's something that dwells within us strongly and firmly and is not going to be moved from us. We do it uh, as a habit of our lives. Right. Virtue is not an act. It's not a single one-time act, virtue is is really something that directs that action. Right. Um, but it's also, it's it's more elusive than, than someone might think. 
you might think, you know, I was born with virtue, or, or he's a good person by nature, like he's just, you know, he is just virtuous. Um, and, and that, to a certain degree, can be true, because if we know that we're made in the image and likeness of God, that there are certain virtues that, that we're capable of. Right. Uh, but these virtues are not things that are come by easy. They're not something that uh, that you just turn a faucet on and you're virtuous. Setting. Absolutely not. Um, the first thing is that we have to recognize the difference in a character trait and a virtue. Some people are 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 nat- naturally honest. It comes very easy to them to be uh, honest, or it comes very easily to them to uh, refrain from from lots of food at Thanksgiving. Um, and then the other thing that we have to remember is that there are a variety or three particular levels of virtue. There are natural virtues, which are oriented towards living a good life here on earth. Then there are supernatural virtues, which are oriented not only to living a good life here on earth, but more importantly, toward eternal life. And then finally, there are the theological virtues, which have as their origin and their object God the Father and the Holy Trinity. Well, I know I have a great quote here from uh, Pope St. Gregory the Great, and he talks about this idea that virtues aren't something that can be just had without some kind of effort or trial, something you have to work towards. We have to in- increase our capacity for exercising the virtues. And He says, there are some who wish to be humble but without being despised, who wish to be happy with their lot but without being needy, who wish to be chaste without mortifying the body, to be patient without suffering. They want both to acquire virtues and to avoid the sacrifices those virtues involve. They are like soldiers who flee the battlefield and try to win the war from the comfort of the city. And really what that uh, great pope was saying was that this is this is hard sometimes. It is. It's very hard. It takes a lot of work, um, to use a cliche, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Patience is one that uh, God's been working on me particularly, and there have been some some major sufferings in my life that have helped me to grow in patience and trust of God, which is another virtue. Well, one of the reasons why I think it's so hard also is because it's not just about you. I, it's difficult within yourself. We, we battle ourselves so often, right? But at the same time, we have a world that has a whole different view, a whole different understanding, right, of virtues. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, the the virtues of the world are, are tolerance, are um, kindness in every situation, are, you know, seeking what's good for me first and what's pleasurable. You know, these are these are the virtues of the world. And as we see that the the church teaches that it's not always about me, it's not always about getting what I want or what makes me feel good that helps me grow in virtue. Well, do we get some help from theologians? I mean, they're supposed to be from the church, right? What do, what do theologians say about some virtues, uh, you know, when they're looking at it from a worldly perspective? Well, there are some theologians even who uh, would posit that uh, virtues are nothing more than character traits and and. and each individual has a different set of character traits, just like each individual has a different DNA. Uh, and whatever this one person has been given, that's exactly what he's supposed to be. Um, but really, the the theologian who I like to, um, the modern theologian who I like to look to for the real definition of, uh, of what a virtue is, is Joseph Pieper, who was a 20th century Thomist philosopher in Germany, knew uh, Cardinal Ratzinger before he became Pope Benedict, and he said, Virtue is the utmost of what a man can be. It is the realization of the human capacity for being. 
And, and as I meditate on that, I realize that it's not just enough for me to take this character trait of, of honesty or this character trait of, of natural humility. Um, I've got to orient those toward the best of what I can be, the best of what God has called me to be. And I was meditating a little more on virtue this morning. I realized that uh, the universal call to holiness, that all of us are called to be holy, is, is not going to be manifest unless we learn virtue and begin to exercise virtue. It is, in fact, the way to manifest the universal call to holiness. Well, you, you started uh, mentioning some of the, the world's virtues, what the world thinks is important, what our secular world uh, teaches is what, what our actions should be oriented towards. Maybe we should just take a minute now and sort of define, list some of those virtues that the church teaches, that the church talks about and asks us to, to, to learn and to live about. The Catechism lists seven particularly, uh, the three theological virtues and the four cardinal virtues. Now, the three theological virtues, the Church says, are, of course, um, they, their origin and their object is the Blessed Trinity. Uh, they are also the flower, the fruit of all the other virtues, uh, especially charity. Uh, but in some ways, they're also the root of the other virtues, that we could not begin to know that we need virtue or begin to live a virtuous life without faith, hope, and charity. The four cardinal virtues are prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. We would uh, rename those, even as uh, Aristotle did in the ancient Greek era, wisdom, courage, self-control, and justice. That's the He didn't give another name to justice. Well, very good. Now, so... Let's, let's run through those those last four you just mentioned. Okay. And wh- what do those mean, essentially? Prudence is right reason in action. So it's not enough to know what's right, but prudence helps us also to do what is right at the right moment. Justice is the social virtue that is oriented towards others and bringing others into a, into a holiness. Courage, of course, is not the absence of fear, but the understanding of the best ways to face fear and face those obstacles. And then finally, temperance, self-control, is the ability to deny myself something for a greater good, the, um, especially bringing under control my passions, my emotions, my appetites. You know, there's another quote that I had that, uh, that, that came from uh, Socrates, uh, we all know Socrates to be the ancient Greek philosopher. Tom reads Socrates all the time, right, Tom? I do. <laughs> I figured you did. And he says, virtue does not come from wealth, but wealth and every other good thing which men have comes from virtue. And and this tells us a lot about virtue, doesn't it? It, it says that, that you can't you can't buy virtue. That's right. And and one of the the scripture passages that uh, keeps popping up as I meditate on this is is when Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Hmm. You mentioned those, all these virtues, and the church teaches these virtues, and, and the underpinning of faith, hope, and love, or faith, hope, and charity, as some scripture um, translations will tell us, those are the basis, really, for, for all of the, all the virtuous living that we have. But these other four, what are called the cardinal virtues, uh, are extremely important in pretty much beaten down in society right now, aren't they? Absolutely. Well, the word cardinal itself is uh, from a Latin word, hinged. So all the other virtues hinge on these four natural virtues that, uh, by God's grace and our effort, are directed toward a not only a good life here on earth, but 
toward eternity. And yes, they do get a bad name here on earth. It's not cool to be prudent. It's not cool to be temperate in in our world today. We're supposed to seek what's what's good for me when I want it. And you know, if anything gets in my way of, or gets in the way of me getting that. Um, then, then I have to to reject whatever gets in the way of me fulfilling my appetites. We're going to talk more about these virtues and what the world thinks about the virtues that are taught by the church in just one moment. We come right back, but I do want to remind folks at home that we have a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. I'd also like you to email me at deaconjeff@thecatholiccafe.com. And so, we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. To live a virtuous life is to live a saintly life, and at the core of every saintly life is a spirit of true humility. This idea runs counterculture, however, in a world that prizes wealth, pride, and pleasure. We've all heard that famous pop song of the 70s, The Me Decade, that boasts that it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way, and at the root of the humor lies the faint ring of truth. Once again, Catholic tradition is filled with many great saintly insights into the virtue of humility. When speaking about humility, St. Augustine tells us that humility is a prerequisite for any of the other virtues. He says, Humility is the foundation of all the virtues, therefore, in a soul where it does not exist, there can be no true virtue. The simple yet profound advice of St. Stephen of Hungary still rings true today. Be humble in this life, he says, that God may raise you up in the next. And St. Bernard rightly points out that humility has eternal benefits as well. He says, Humility is necessary not only for the acquisition of virtues, but even for salvation. For the gate of heaven, as Christ himself testifies, is so narrow that it admits only little ones. St. Francis of Assisi made humility one of the cornerstones of his life and one of the greatest goals of his order. He saw Jesus himself as the perfect model of humility in dying on the cross and being ever-present for us at the Eucharistic sacrifice at Holy Mass. St. Francis tells us, Every day Jesus humbles himself just as he did when he came from his heavenly throne into the virgin's womb. Every day he comes to us and lets us see him in objection when he descends from the bosom of the Father into the hands of the priest at the altar. Pride is the enemy of humility and so leads to all sin. Only by the grace of God and the triumph of Christ on the cross can we overcome the sin of pride and freely welcome a spirit of true humility so that we may strive for perfection in holiness. Again, St. Augustine tells us, Humility is so necessary to perfection that of all the ways to reach it, the first is humility, the second humility, the third humility. And if the question were repeated a hundred times, I should always give the same answer. I'm Bess Drozimski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. We have Derek Roddy here. Derek, uh, we're continuing our conversation about virtues, and where we left off 
we were talking about sort of uh, something, a pressure pushing against what the church teaches on virtues is, is really the, the world and, and the right. culture. And what is it about the world? What, why does the world view these virtues as so negative? Uh, to live a virtuous life really can be uh, sinful, right? They'll, they'll consider it sinful. They'll say, you know, well, if you're going to be, you're intolerant. Absolutely. Right? You're not kind to everybody. You're not accepting of everyone. Therefore, you are sinful. And so they look at virtue as a negative, negative thing. Right. And uh, that really is the result of the creation of moral relativism in our world. And moral relativism, of course, is, is nothing more than the idea that there is no absolute truth, that whatever is true or right or good for one person may not necessarily be true or good or right for another person, but that's okay because there is no absolute truth. Our Holy Father even said moral relativism was probably the worst enemy we mm-hmm. had in, in this modern age. It is because, as you mentioned, it, it creates a situation, an atmosphere where good and holy action is considered intolerant or sinful. It's always the Catholic Church that still stands up for the unborn, Right. that still says that contraception is wrong, that still says that abortion is wrong in all situations. And and this goes counterculture, doesn't it? Absolutely. And so this is looked at as intolerant, as unchanging, unbending. And so if you have a firm foundation... According to the world, you're doing a bad thing. Yeah, it uh, you know people have no desire to control themselves or um, or or sacrifice for the good of another. Uh, really, they want to have dominion over uh, over their lives and and the nature around them. And and in a sense, moral relativism allows them to do that. The world, though, has replaced virtue with something else, an expression you hear all the time, and that is values. That's you right. hear this all the time. You'll hear candidates who are uh, pro-choice, to use their words, they'll say, well, I have family values. Right. What's the difference between a value and a virtue? Uh, if, uh, if I could, I'd like to use a couple of examples to help illustrate this. Sure. Um, I married into a, an Italian Catholic family, and so one of the uh, movies to watch that I that I was assigned as homework was The Godfather. <laughs> and uh, Wow, was it like that? It, that- <laughs> no, it is not like that, but uh, I figured I might as well know. You don't have, you've a, never had a, a horse's head in your bed, right? No, I have not. <laughs> Very good. Um, but uh, the Corleones in that family... Uh, or in that movie had uh, an abundance of family values, right? But we uh, we see through their actions and the words that are used, especially in that movie, uh, that there was a real lack of family virtue. Okay, so um, we can be a strong family unit and have family values, but not have family virtues. The other example that I would use is um, is my my overcoat, my winter coat, is more valuable in January than it is in August, right? And what we see in in that illustration is that values change. Values are a, really a result, in many cases, of moral relativism. What do you value? Well, that's good for you. What do you value? Well, that's, that's okay, too. Um, but virtues are firm. They are unchanging. They're oriented always toward that thing that we call, or the catechism calls, the good. If I go back to my 
high school chemistry class or, or science classes of any kind, you, you find out what the word value means there. It's just a measurement. Right. And so if someone says they have family values, they may. Their family values may be zero. Exactly. Value is merely a me- It's like a temperature. Exactly. Oh, you know, what's temperature like? A- well, yes, it's temperature outside. Mm-hmm. It's it's a value outside. Well, that doesn't tell me whether it's hot or cold. I have no idea. That's Just right. from the word value itself. The word value can be its own measuring stick. And, of course, as Catholics, we believe that there is a an objective measuring stick, an objective truth by which we have to compare ourselves. You also mentioned that virtue is, is maybe even a little revolutionary. What do you mean by that? I, I simply mean that in a world where moral relativism is the norm and a world where virtue is looked at as intolerant and sinful, that it is virtue that actually becomes the revolutionary thing, the thing that that is countercultural. Um, in, and as a, a student of history myself, you know, we think of the, the great revolutions of history, the French Revolution or uh, the American Revolution, where uh, systems that were in place were undone and, and something new was put in their place. And so in a culture of moral relativism, virtue can undo that moral relativism and put something firmer and, and, and stronger in its place. We have this idea that virtues are good, right? And yes. We see that now, and I think we've, we've kind of explained where the church is coming from in teaching these virtues and asking us to live by these virtues. But the church wouldn't do that unless there was some kind of benefit, unless there was something good for us and for the world in living uh, with these virtues, what are some of those benefits of virtue? Well, the first uh, benefit that I would uh, would like to mention is listed in Scripture. It's listed listed in the second letter of Saint Peter, chapter one, verses three through eleven. And I won't quote the whole thing, but uh, His divine power, His being God's, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And later, it says that. Uh, we might become partakers in his divine nature by virtue. St. Gregory of Nyssa also says in the Catechism that the goal of a virtuous life is to become like God. That, that to me, is the biggest line right there. I think Because the is. difference between what you were talking about earlier, what our society says, is really it's based on humans. It's not right. based on what God wants, whereas that is that sums it up right there. Absolutely. God is holy. God is, is all in all. He is all things to all men. And to become like him through virtue be- means that we begin to live healthier, happier lives for ourselves, but right. also we, be- we bear more fruit in the community, in the world around us. Right. Well, you were saying that we live healthier and happier lives. A lot of that also has to do with avoiding sin, right? Absolutely. Those virtues are going to help us in that regard as well, aren't they? Absolutely. Uh, virtue, when you when you look at some of the virtues, many of the virtues are the direct antidote to the seven deadly sins. Pride, greed, sloth, lust, envy are all combated in one way, shape, or form by these seven that we've talked about or others like humility, meekness, patience, honesty, the seven deadly sins are are put to death, are put to rest when we build virtue in our lives. I guess the important thing to understand is that that virtue is something that has to be practiced daily. Daily. It's not like uh, 
the big battle that you have to deal with at the it's like the cataclysmic battle in your life uh, that you're building up for this to be on this battlefield and this this great war and then you're going to you're preparing for that war it's it's really an everyday thing it is and and it it'd be so much easier if it was just that one battle and then, <laughs> and god filled us with the grace to get through that battle on that one day but he doesn't work that way he he wants to work in those little moments and help us recognize in the little moments where he's he's calling us and where he's calling us to act prudently or justly and uh and and then we have to take that back to prayer and recognize where i did virtuous action and where I didn't, and and if I didn't, then to work harder next time. But God doesn't leave us alone in this daily struggle, does He? He, he no. offers us grace, Absolutely. right? You were talking about these virtues will offset the seven deadly sins, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, God gives us all the grace that we need to live every day through the sacraments, especially like you know baptism and uh, confirmation and Eucharist. We get an abundance of graces so that we can become holier people, so that we can live by these virtues. That's right. When we are living virtuous lives, two things primarily help is is daily prayer so that we, we recognize where was I virtuous yesterday and where wasn't I virtuous. And when we recognize that I wasn't virtuous, we, we strengthen ourselves again in prayer and especially in the sacraments. Another thing that's very important is to to surround yourselves with holy and and virtuous people or people who are trying to be virtuous, like you, Deacon Jeff. Yeah, exactly. That's why I hang out with him. Good. (laughs) Yeah, right. Thank you very much. I already feel more virtuous by being here in the corner booth. But speaking of which, you know, virtuous people are more attractive, aren't they? Maybe not uh, in terms of like their looks. But you, for some reason, gravitate towards a virtuous uh, person. Why I, is that? I, holiness attracts. We we see that time and time again in church history that holiness attracts through the lives of the saints, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who had throngs of people following him daily, asking him to teach and asking him to heal. Our Lord was the perfect example of virtue. Holiness attracts when we see people who are able to uh, control their own desires and their own passions for the good of another person or for the good of the community, we want to hang out with people like that. Yeah, it's one more great benefit of living a life of virtue is yeah. that you suddenly, while it betters you, it betters your opportunities, it, it, it makes life much better for you personally, you also become this sort of lighthouse, this beacon of, of light and happiness that people will see, they'll gravitate towards you and they'll say, you know, you, you just seem happy. I want some of that. Whatever right. that is that you have, I want some of that. That's right. And that it, uh, virtue actually becomes the visible action of what P- St. Peter was talking about in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. It's the visible action associated with that passage. Hope is not something that's invisible. Hope can be visible. We can Absolutely. see hope. We, we experience it. Well, wonderful. This has given us some great insight, uh, Derek. Thank you so much for telling us about the virtues, and hopefully our listeners will uh, start to learn and to practice some of those virtues. I, I hope so. Virtue can win the world if we, if we begin to practice it, every one of us. Beautiful. Well, let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, you created us in your image and likeness and have written your law upon our hearts. Help us to learn and to live the virtues of faith, hope, love, prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude, so that we may truly realize your will for our world. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table. Thank you.